All right. Good morning, Sam. Thank you for joining me here today. And I'm really excited to learn about you. I've seen you online in different capacities. And when I found out there was a woman in the neighborhood who was a professional pool player and that was your career, I thought that was just fascinating. So I'm so excited to learn from you. And the first thing I want to ask you is kind of for people who have no idea about pool, how do you explain pool to novice people? Sure. So, you know, what's funny is that um, pool or billiards uh, interchangeably used um, can't, is one of the most popular and common activities that most Americans participate in, right? You walk into um, just about any bar or tavern uh, on the corner and there's usually a pool table somewhere in there. Um, and um, so it, traditionally, uh, pool, also referred to as pocket billiards, because um, there's also a billiards game that is played on a table with three balls without pockets. Um, so there is that clarification. Uh, pocket billiards is tr traditionally most commonly played um, eight ball or nine ball, mostly eight ball. If you're playing in a bar, that means I have stripes, you have solids, and we're both trying to make our suit, and then we make the eight ball last, and whoever does that first is the winner. Um, and you know, you put your little quarter up for the next game and, and, um, and that, and you just keep going. So the, the winner, um, keeps the table, right? So king of the table or queen of the table. I'm assuming that it is a heavily dominated male, male have male dominated sport. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So it's definitely male dominated, even still now, even though there are a lot more um, women in the sport. And I know personally, I work with a lot of them. And it's always a pleasure for me when I when I'm working with women and, and encouraging them to, to helping them improve and, and um, become badasses, as we would say. <laughs> That's a question I want to start incorporating that on the badass meter this morning, as I'm catching you here, how are you feeling about your badass self this morning? Are you <laughs> feeling it or not? Um, I, I'm feeling badass-ish today. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's keep going with pool two. What does make women good at pool, at playing pool? Sure. Um, so for me... Um, it, it, this is an interesting question because if you look at the top women player versus the top men um, players on the professional tour, um, most of the women are very, um, their mechanics are very um, similar, very orthodox. Uh, most women, just generally speaking, once they started improving, um, either someone took them under their wing or they got professional instruction right away and um, uh, also, to kind of generalize, we're a lot more compliant and teachable sometimes. <laughs> I'm speaking from personal experience with my own students too, oftentimes, but um, we take instruction pretty well. We, we have good attention to detail. And so a lot of times, um, and it's a fact, when you watch the top women players play, their, their mechanics are just so textbook and just very, very... Um, almost perfect, right? But a lot of the men, even though a lot of them are competing at a very high level, they oftentimes have very different and unorthodox, um, unconventional mechanics because most of them either learned very young at a very young age and their mechanics were, you know, could, they could barely see over the table. So they were kind of side-armed and that kind of carried over to their adult um, career and their mechanics as an adult 
are still similar to their their mechanics when they were younger and so I don't know if that really answers your question but uh I guess what makes a woman a badass at pool uh, you know she just um she cleans the table right it there's sort of this this um stigma about and and it's funny because whenever i meet a new friend or someone that's like oh that's what you do well i want to take you to a bar and hustle and you know um like those days of hustling are so far behind us because you know you used to walk into a pool room and pretend like you couldn't play and you couldn't make a ball and then um and then people would challenge you and then and then you up the ante right that's that was sort of the thing that was, that's what hustling is basically um but nowadays i mean you could walk into a pool room and say hey i'm the best player in here who wants to play me and you'll still get the same amount of action so especially when it comes to um pardon, uh, I don't mean to offend you, but uh, egos with, especially, you know, men sometimes and egos um, that that can really inspire a lot of uh, friendly competition. <laughs> so. well, I'm, I'm, I'm for bringing down the patriarchy. So I'm, I'm for that part of it. So do not ever sugarcoat anything with me, please. So then with this, let's go way back in time, then can you take me or us through this path on how the heck did you arrive at this as your career? So where did you grow up here locally or where did you grow up? Uh, I'm a Colorado native. Um, well, I, I consider myself a native. I've been here since I was three. I was actually born in Vietnam, in Cho Long, Vietnam. And um, so I uh, grew up speaking Cantonese with my family, came to America when I was three, um, went through ESL programs in school. And when I was probably about 14, um, well, I grew up playing the violin um, all my life since I was nine and um, back when we used to have music programs in school. <laughs> um, and I, when I was in high school, I played on a private orchestra called the Varsity Strolling Strings. We strolled with our, our violins and um, we would meet for rehearsals every Monday night and Rehearsals would be from 7.30 to 10 or something like that. And uh, like once a month or so, my friends and I, my older friends who had cars and could drive, would we would sneak out of rehearsal like once every, um, you know, a month, you know, once every month or a couple months or so. And because we still actually had to learn the music to actually perform. So not too often, but every once in a while we'd sneak out of rehearsal and, um, drive over to the all ages pool room. And that was kind of where I got my first taste of pool, I would say. And that was the first time I really um, was introduced to the game and had no idea what I was doing. You know, we were, um, we were just a bunch of teenagers um, having fun. And that was, um, yeah, so that was in my teenage years. And then later on in life, um, I had some corporate America jobs. Um, I went to school for marketing. So I always had some different random marketing jobs. I was working for an insurance company, Colorado Farm Bureau. And uh, my position was actually eliminated. I was in the marketing department and there was this other similar position and everyone just assumed that I would just cross interview for this other position. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go on unemployment for a year and try this pool thing and kind of see how it goes and see where it takes me. 
And so I basically uh, played about 80 or 90 hours a week. I took it super seriously. I got a coach right away. Um, I shot the same shot like a thousand times in a row. I was really, really dedicated in those first, um, those first 18 months, I'd say. And I was also a lot younger then, so my back could handle being in that position, that stationary position for that many hours a week. Um, there's definitely no way that that could happen right now, <laughs> but yes. Let me ask, um, so at this, this is a big, obviously career move yes, um, yes. And, and a very unorthodox career move. So yes. when you're doing this, what level of pool were you playing at? Like, did you know you were good at that point? Were you good right away when you- No, decided? no, I was a complete amateur. It was such a crash. <laughs> No, I don't advise this at all for, for a lot of people, but I mean, it's, it's a very small percentage that play at that very high level, that um, top, top level. And, you know, I would not even consider myself in that super top level. Um, you know, I'd say maybe like second, second and a half tier or something, but it's, it's a very small percentage of people that, you know, I just really had the dedication and that tenacity at that time in my life. And I was like, you know, I gave myself this, this 12 month window and said, you know, it's kind of do or die. Um, I don't want to have to get a real job again. And that was maybe my inspiration. So after 18 months, I won my first national title and, um, and, and then, so I have four national titles um, and which probably took place in those next following four, four years or so. And um, yes. Right, pause there, national yes. champion. I did not realize I was dealing with the national champion here. So in, in what is this is in playing like the eight ball pool where I'm competing against you or what, or what are, and this is like a, like you're traveling to places playing pool and different like, around the country. Explain more about what that looks like. Sure. So um, it's usually um, at in Las Vegas most of the time. Um, most of the billiard events are in Las Vegas. Pool players, uh, just by the nature of the beast, and appreciate some gamble. And so that really tends to attract a lot of pool players. And so uh, a lot of the national championships are in Vegas. A lot of times you kind of have to qualify for these events. Some of them are open. You just sign up for them. Um, I have one, I think, an eight ball and one in nine ball, um, and then a couple team uh, titles to playing with a women's team in the masters division. So, yeah, wow. So when you when you were doing this, you had a coach. One thing that I am big on that I've never experienced in my own life, really, but I've seen how it's influenced others is mentorship. Did sure. you once you kind of poured yourself into this? I'm sure it's a small world once you got into it, like practicing all the time, but you need to know how to practice. How did you? yet so good that other people can extrapolate for whatever they want to be good at. Yeah, and this is something that I tell my students too. And just to clarify, because you kind of intro you introduced me as oh, you know, professional billiard player. I don't consider myself a professional player anymore these days. I'm a, a professional instructor. Uh, my husband still plays at a very high level and plays in a lot of um, national and, and regional and world uh, world tournaments. But um, for me these days, I mostly am teaching. Um, so. But, um, and the one thing that I tell my students to answer your question is it's all about muscle memory, right? You're just trying to build uh, muscle memory and, and get really comfortable and confident with your skills and your mechanics so that 
come pressure time under pressure, um, you can just trust in those that muscle memory. So it's kind of like I I, I like to use analogy um, like a musician is learning a new piece. So what I say is, you know, if you consider your whole game um, like a a pie and a third of that pie would be instruction, taking instruction, watching videos, reading books, learning new information. The other third would be practicing. You're practicing that information. So just like a musician, they're gonna learn a new piece, then they're gonna practice those notes and they're gonna prepare for that performance. So the other third of that pie would be the actual competition. So you kind of need a good balance of all three of those to be a complete athlete and a complete player and to really succeed in in any sport I kind of feel like but but that's like that's what I like to the the recipe I like to give to my students and then when you are competing at this level and you're competing in these tournaments are you playing against the same people are there people from all different walks of life probably that are doing this what's they really are yeah yeah I've met some of the most um amazing fun people traveling to these tournaments and and a lot of them you see year after year it's like a reunion every year it's a big party um i mean it's been it's been years since i've attended a national tournament but but it was it was always such a blast it's yeah and and that's a good place you know league pool league is a good place to start especially if anyone is looking to to get a little more serious or um kind of try their their hand up at it a little bit um pool leagues are handicapped so it doesn't matter what your skill level is it's all handicapped and it's fun for everyone and um and then within pool league within your league your team your pool team could then register to play at a national tournament and when you get to the nationals you could there's different events like there's a team event there's a doubles event there's a singles event and so you can just sign up for those and that when you get to nationals is not handicapped i think it might be now some of them some of them are still hand, are handicapped now but but when i was um yeah when i when i used to go it, I, I think they kind of change it a little bit to make it more attractive for everyone. But yeah, I was just thinking in my head, if I played you, which I'm terrible at pool, and I've, never, <laughs> I've never really played much. Like, is it the top professionals? Are you an eight ball when you're getting them all of your color? Do you get them in like every time? Like, how does that work? How good are people at the top level? Like, will they always clear the table when it's their turn, basically? Yeah, you kind of have to, you kind of expect that. So there's usually different divisions. There'll be like an open division and then maybe some in between like intermediate and then like a master's division. So at that at that level in the master's division, even the top players in that open division, if the, it's called breaking and running. So if you, you break, then you run out. So that's, it's a one inning game, right? Like, yeah, so that's kind of the expectation. And it comes down to the lag or the flip. So lagging is both players shoot the, the ball down and then whoever gets closest to the rail that they're at is the person that gets the, the opening break. And so you can either lag for the break or you flip a coin to see who gets the first break. And oftentimes at that level, it just comes down to the, the break shot for sure. Whoever gets that first break is, you know, they're just trading runouts and yeah. It's fascinating to me. Okay, what else is fascinating to me is you have, you know, done well in school, you're in music programs, you're doing all this stuff that traditionally parents would love in life, and then <laughs> go to college, get a degree in marketing, which is very useful. Take me through explaining this to your family or parents or loved ones that you're leaving this world for the world of pool. Yeah, yeah. So full disclosure, I'm 12 credits shy of my marketing degree. 
uh, I don't want to mislead anyone there, but um, I, it was it was a, a really big decision, obviously, and and um, I was still young-ish at the time and um but I but I had my own place and um you know I was pretty independent and but it was um you know to kind of stereotype coming from a very uh Chinese family it was not easy for my mom to accept that that was going to be my career in life and I'm not gonna try to become a doctor or a lawyer and um and yeah, that was a big, big decision in our family. And, um, and she, uh, um, she wasn't happy about it. It actually was a very hard conversation to have with her. But I think once she realized um, that I was able to monetize my career, um, not just by competing, but by, um, I was, at one point I was writing a lot of articles. Um, I had articles that were syndicated in about eight different billiard publications. Um, I was doing a lot of traveling, um, interviewing players and doing a lot of commentary, stuff like that. And um, I kind of found a way to, again, not have to return to corporate America <laughs> and um, make it work. So then I think she finally sort of relaxed a little bit and was like, I just gave up. <laughs> Well, I think that you following your dreams is amazing. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who want to do things like this, but don't um, ever take that risk or take the opportunity because of so often life and where you're at in life. I think the timing is a really big impact. Um, I'm a big believer in mindset and positive mindset and how that can impact these kind of things. And um, take me through kind of what you were thinking with it. How did you go through this and battle in your head to make this decision? Was it really that easy? Like, what was going through your head at this time? Do you always think, well, I can always go back to this corporate life if I need to? Oh, that's a really good question. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever really thought about it before. Um, I suppose there was that small part of me inside that was like, well, I could always fall back on being working for an insurance company <laughs> if I needed to. But I was, um, I was pretty focused. I mean, I was pretty driven. I, I, yeah, I was kind of relentless. I didn't, um, it, it, there wasn't really an option for me. I, I was going to find a way. <laughs> I was going to find a way. I, um, I really was, was, and still am just so passionate about the sport that I just knew that my whole life needed to be in some way involved in this sport. And, um, you know, it's like oftentimes people, um, people are really good at something. And then once they turn it into a career, then it, they don't really enjoy it as much anymore. So there's always that balance too, of trying to keep what you're doing exciting so that you don't, um, get, get burned out. And so for me, I was always just trying to like, and I was always been really creative too. So I was like, I, I wrote, I published a book. It's just kind of like a little cheesy book. Um, uh, and I, I had published like this little game log that was for players like to track their, their progress and stuff. And I took all this information on things that I, that helped me um, as a learner and, you know, published it and made it, you know, um, shared it with other players so that they could use those resources as well to to learn from 
And um, yeah, I just, it, and, and I, you know, after high school, I actually taught violin lessons for about 10 years. So that kind of helped a lot and carried over a lot to, um, to, to learning how to teach, teach billiards, right? Yeah, I'm hearing so many entrepreneurial, like your, your background is, you know, <laughs> is like, or you that you really figured it out as you go on. And I think that you're, you know, you often people go into that world on their own and they just find different ways to make it work. Um, but the attitude is such a huge part of it. When you did leave to do this full time, were you thinking that you'd be trying to create all these other different revenue streams or was your goal just to be the best at pool and then play kind of? No, I just wanted to play pool, but, um, but there's only so much pool you can play. (laughs) So, so there was, um, yeah, I just found other ways to, but, but as you know, as you are my brain, I feel like it just doesn't really stop. And, and maybe that's something that, that is a recurring theme with a lot of these badass women that you're interviewing. Um, but I, I, I don't really, it doesn't really turn off. So there's, it's constantly like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had this? Or wouldn't this be a cool idea? Um, and these thoughts come to me in the experience, right? Like at, in the moment as I'm practicing or, or, or whatever. And, um, you know, sometimes a certain drill will come to me. And, um, and so I was, you know, I started teaching um, kind of while I was uh, in my competition career, but just not as heavily, not, not full-time like I am now, but, um, and I always felt like what made, part of what made me a, a good instructor was that I was not that disconnected from being a, a student of the game myself. And so, because I remembered what it was like to learn those certain skills, I was able to help my students um, learn. And I also um, like to, so I teach a, um, I teach a boot camp. we call it a boot camp every summer um, with Dr. Dave Alciatore. <laughs> and um, he is uh, he is my my mentor. Um, amazing. He's got a, um, a PhD in mechanical engineering. He's uh, he's a retired um, uh, professor at, at CSU in Fort Collins. And we teach this three day boot camp um, every summer, limited to 12 students. There's another instructor that flies in from Canada to teach it with us. And we get students that fly in from all over the world for this three day boot camp. We teach a, a, an overview course and then an advanced course back to back weekends. And Dave is very, very left brain. Like he's very, um, he's, he's, he's very, I don't want to say rigid, he's come a long way, but, but I, so, but I'm more, um, you know, very out of the box and very creative thinking. And so we kind of balance each other out, but teaching with him has really taught me a lot of how to appeal to that type of learner. So, um, so I've taken a lot of that knowledge from the last 10 years of teaching with him to, um, to my own teaching style and learning how to approach different types of learners and different students. I wanted to go back to one of the things I want to get to your teaching more later, but I want to go back to one of the things you said so I can, you know, learn from you here or or we can learn from each other. Um, My brain's the same way. And I think once you find something that you are passionate about in that way professionally, so with our work with Lombard interviews, that's where I am. And I'm constantly thinking about it. And I went from 
and I'm still consider myself an educator, but teaching full-time where I was able to turn it off to some degree and be home with my family and see it as more segmented work than to something that I is in my mind all of the time. And we've got two small children. We've got an eight-year-old and a five-and-a-half-year-old, and um, I'm trying to be in the moment with them, but it's just constantly going, and there's no start and end to it in any form. So how do you or how have you, or, or I'm sure it's a constant work, but how do you work with your brain, which is all, all going, but then also making sure you're there for family and friends and, and having that life outside of your work. Yeah, there's a lot of trial and error, right? I'm sure as you've experienced. Um, for me, I, I, I'm kind of stubborn. <laughs> like I actually have to experience it to realize that that's so much. And so one big thing that I've done in, in my life and my career in the last two years, um, maybe not even that long, maybe the last year or so that has been a complete game changer and really allowed me to focus on building my teaching career is just simplifying my life. And I have taught so many different things. Um, I love teaching so much. Um, I actually teach at the Dem um, at Denver Parks and Recs. I teach a billiards class for seniors, and I also teach one for, for kids through the My Denver program. And um, through teaching at Denver Parks and Recs, I also ended up teaching um, like some classes through arts and culture, some mini Picasso classes, like art classes for, for kids. And um, I just really, really love teaching and meeting different people and but although I enjoy a lot of those different things and different um, creative outlets I really had to make decisions and on what is economical and what's kind of the best for my my family and my career and unfortunately I kind of had to go through it and experience it for myself before um, before I could come to this realization that um, as much fun as it is to see my adorable toddlers every week, it is just not the best decision for, for me because the planning involved for me, because I know that for me as a personally, I, if I commit to do something like I can't just go into it kind of half-assed, like I, I really want to give it my best. And so, um, so it's, you know, it, it just, um, it can take a toll because um, because I don't want to just, you know, go in there kind of winging it. So um, there ends up being a lot of planning and a lot of um, emotional labor involved a lot of times. So you're kind of protecting yourself on the front end. You're saying no more now or, or being more specific with what you're doing so that you can make sure to, to turn your brain off when you need to? Yeah, that's a big thing for me, I think, right now. Okay. Just, yeah. Yeah, that's that's something I'm, I'm certainly working on. And there's all these opportunities that come up, and they're exciting. And so, yeah, it's hard. Also, it's time. Hard. I think there's time to do stuff too, right? That's something that I think yeah. that we all are not good at. Is we want to do it right now instead of giving yourself time. Like, and I always look at myself how I would recommend things or to my mentees. What I would tell them would be very different than what I actually do. And I would tell them that you can be patient, and there is time. Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Okay. No, and it's, it's, I mean, don't you always feel like if you, if I could just clone myself, if there were just three of me, <laughs> I could get so much more done. Yeah, well, that's what I, my goal is to empower women so because you can all get more done. And I see that part of it, or you can figure out a system that, you know, is more better for all of us to have a better balance. And it is my goal with all of my work. Um, 
with that or, or transitioning again back to pool and and what you've brought up an engineer playing it i think that probably there's major stereotypes about who pool players would be from people who are ignorant on the the topic i mean this is a high-end sport people are probably winning a lot of prize money at the, the top ends and making a lot of money i the only pool player i know is the black widow i don't know who she is but i know i've heard of a woman named the black widow um but i know she's famous enough for me to hear about her being outside that but is there is that something you have to overcome too when you talk to people about your career that that you are professional that you are intelligent like i feel like the engineering part is probably very 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 smart people at the top level who know about the physics of it know about all these different things and and i don't think that's necessarily what people think about when they think of pool yeah so dr dave has a huge following of um of very like-minded um physics geared uh, players and when I say you know that's that in terms of teaching some people don't want to know about the physics why does the cue ball do that when I hit it why does um, you know why does that reaction occur some people could care less they just want you to tell them what they need to do how they need to do it and um, and that's that right but um, but for sure you know we are far, far from the days of that classic uh, demographic or description of a pool player being just your run-of-the-mill degenerate pool room gambler. I mean, not to say that those players and those people don't exist still, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Um, I'd say the majority of the students that I have are people who are families that have, um, well, my number one demographic are retired engineers or doctors, believe it or not, because they're the ones with the time and the resources <laughs> that, that are um, capable of dedicating those hours and they're looking for a new hobby or, or some sort of new interest to fill their time during the daytimes. And, um, but then next to that would be kind of families, a lot of families, they teach a lot of families together because they're looking for uh, a timeless pastime that they can enjoy together as a family. And it's, it's great, it's a great sport. It really, I mean, you could, you could learn it at four and five all the way up to you know your 80s my oldest students at the rec centers are in their 80s and it's a lot of fun yeah that is so cool um so then as you progress from kind of playing competitively and then really morphed into becoming really a, a teacher and, and a businesswoman at that point too where you're running your own business um did you learn from other people on how to do that? Are there, I'm a big believer, a podcast now you have, you're, I don't know if you're before that time, but podcasts, you can learn so much stuff, YouTube and things like that. And you talk a little about that. How did you, you seem like everything you take on, you take on with, you know, aggression and passion, you're doing it all the way. How did you get into the start of running your own business and doing coaching? Was that gradual? Uh, that's a great question. So I'd say my first few lessons were just very organic. Um, I, you know, after won a couple of tournaments, people just approached me. I'm looking, I'm interested in doing some, some lessons. Oh, I also used to, um, so one of my earlier coaches, uh, he used to, he worked at um, Shakespeare's, which is an uh, a pool room that's no longer around, unfortunately, um, in downtown. And he used to, he was the house pro there and he used to do uh, free pool lessons every Thursday because he was, you know, he was the house pro there. He worked there, he worked the counter, everything. And, and so he would, um, 
an hour every Thursday evening, he would do his free pool lessons. And, and that's kind of how I met him and started working with him. And so that was something that I wanted to do to kind of give back when I started improving. And so I would offer, um, I would offer some free like weekly lessons at the place where I started teaching at and, um, which is also no longer around, but then, um, and then in terms of when I published my book, that was in 2004, um, I, this was kind of, I wouldn't say that before the days of like Google and stuff, I'm not gonna date myself, but it was, I mean, I bought a book that was like this thick on like how to self-publish and I, I mean, it was definitely, YouTube was definitely not as prominent and there weren't as many resources um, online available as there are now in terms of how to easily learn how to, you know, fix your washing machine and stuff like that. But um, so I, I read through this whole book and, and I was like determined, I'm like, I'm going to self-publish. But I honestly, I would say that that was the most um, compliant <laughs> time of the whole entrepreneurial career I feel like the rest of it a lot of it has really been trial and error and kind of learning as I go since then because I feel like I feel like I haven't stopped because I mean that all happened I'd say it all you know when I when I um when I started this journey and I said I'm gonna you know on unemployment for a year that was in 2003 and from 2003 to 2010 between winning tournaments traveling uh, more than half of the year to different parts of the country to compete in different tournaments non-stop um, I was also um, I was also you know publishing stuff and writing for a lot of the magazines I was doing I started doing a lot of interviews um, I was um, doing a lot of commentary for different events. And then in 2010 was when I met my husband. And between that sort of eight to 10 year window, I felt like it was just, I mean, I don't, I don't remember coming up for air. I still don't really, but for different reasons nowadays. <laughs> but I mean, I, I really, it just all kind of happened. And so most of the time I feel very lucky that it, it happened the way it was supposed to. Um, I mean, even just, meeting my husband and, and getting married, like we eloped after 21 days. And so a lot of things could have gone wrong after 21 days. I mean, and that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. So, and two children ago. So, so we've survived a lot. <laughs> How many days did you say before you were married? So the, the annual U.S. Open Nine Ball Championships that takes place in October every year is the 23rd annual U.S. Open Nine Ball Championships, October 20 or October 10th, 2010. We are at this event. He is preparing to play against arguably the best player in the world. He lost to this guy the following year, 11-10. So they put him on the, the live stream TV table again this year, that year, because, um, you know, they wanted to see this grudge match. And so he's, he's warming up, preparing for this match. And I go over there. Um, I'm kind of flirting with him. And, and he says to me, um, cause my husband's from Spain. So he says, if I beat Efren, will you go to dinner with me? And I say, well, maybe we'll go to dinner anyway, just to kind of take the heat off. And so 
Um, he actually lost that match. We went to dinner anyway. Uh, we end up spending the rest of the tournament together. It's day five of the event and there's five more days to go. And we, at the end of the event, I had already planned that I was going to rent a car and drive to Charlotte from there. It's only five hours away. And so I say, you want to rent a car and drive to Charlotte with me? And he looks at me and says, Okay, and so we drive to Charlotte, spend 10 amazing days in Charlotte, and um, we, uh, at the end of that trip, we are leaving, um, both leaving Charlotte, it's um, November 1st, and we're both leaving Charlotte to go to different parts of Florida for two different pool tournaments, and we both kind of have different variations of the story, but since I'm the one being interviewed, I'll tell you my version. He looks at me and says, I want to make babies with you. And I say, well, you need to marry me first. And so we decided that we would reunite on the 1st of December and, um, and get married on the 1st of December. And so he flew to Denver the week of Thanksgiving, asked my dad for my hand in marriage. And, um, and then we flew to Seattle, got married in a Seattle courthouse. And when we back out the days that we were apart, he, um, we've been married, or we were together 21 days. We got married on our 21st actual day together. So we kind of knew each other before that. So we weren't like complete strangers, but not very well. And a lot of things really could have gone wrong. So I feel like, you know, we kind of, we kind of got lucky. <laughs> Me and my wife and I met on the internet in um, in a random Yahoo chat room and talked for years before we ever met in person. She's from Poland. And um, then we started, once we started getting serious and I started falling in love, I started flying over to Poland and we were collectively together for like 45 days, I think, before we got married. But we talked all the time for years. So it wasn't the same story. So I'm thinking now again of your parents, you've at this point left your job and your you know secure oh god by that point they were just like whatever (laughs) and the other thing then you said your husband's from spain tell me about the kind of how you're mixing cultures and all of that with your family yeah yeah so we have two girls they're eight and ten and language is very important to us so i grew up speaking cantonese all my life and um i've only spoken cantonese to my kids and then so my husband um he's actually from barcelona so they he's from catalonia so they his first language is catalan so we had to make a a decision and spanish being the more um useful practical language. Um, we chose that. And there was a little bit of pushback from his family. If anyone knows the history, they understand why. But um, so he has only spoken Spanish to our girls from birth. We just figured once they get the Spanish um, base that it's easier to learn Catalan later. But so, um, and then they're also in a full immersion uh, Chinese Mandarin program at school. So, um, so they speak fluently Cantonese, Mandarin, Spanish, and English. That is wonderful for us. My wife speaks to them in Polish and they're currently in Spanish immersion, but then we're going to move to Poland. We're very fortunate to be able to do that for one year so they can really be immersed in the language and culture and really be close to the grandparents there. So I think that's so good. I speak one language and maybe a little bit of Spanish and a little bit of Polish, which I need to lock on, but I wish we started languages younger here. It's just insane. I agree. I want to hear more about those days in that circuit. Um, So you, are you, funding yourself then do you have to pay for yourself to then get around the country and and do these things at that time yeah so that's a great question um I was I had this blog and I I was this was 
back when, you know, actual blogs were a thing. <laughs> and um, I, this was, you know, Facebook was not as, um, none of the social media sites were really as prominent and, um, and, and hadn't really taken off. And I was blogging just religiously. And I had a lot of sponsors and support from my blog. I can't even imagine it now, but like I had a lot of supporters for my blog and a lot of followers. It's so random. Like, and now to think about the amount of time that I spent like writing this blog, I can't even imagine right now, like, like, um, kind of like kind of setting aside that much time now on a daily or weekly basis. But, um, so I blogged religiously and, um, I had, I had a few sponsors, I had a Q sponsor. He's still super supportive. Um, he's a local Q maker that built my Q, Chris Byrne. And um, I had a lot of uh, other supporters and um, a lot of, oftentimes what um, a lot of businesses like billiard businesses will do in the industry, because I mean, let's be honest, our, and this is, this is a big kind of misconception. There's not a lot of money in the billiard industry, unfortunately. It's not like golf or tennis. It doesn't get a lot of um, proper recognition. We're not on ESPN. Um, and, and we just don't have that sort of um, backing. And um, it's, uh, so a lot of companies in the billiard industry, when they sponsor you, they'll just give you a bunch of product. So then you in turn take that product and you, you generate a revenue with that product. And then that's how you can afford to, to, um, you know, fund all these trips. So uh, luckily, most of them were very profitable. Um, during my last couple years, I was competing mostly in the Arizona Women's Tour because um, we didn't we don't really have a, a women's tour in our our area. That was probably the closest one, and so I traveled to Arizona a lot, made some really lasting relationships with with friends in in Arizona, and um, and my one uh, dear friends, I stay with. I would stay with them all the time. And then, you know, it'd always be awkward when we'd like meet each other in the finals because <laughs> I'm rooming with her, staying at her house. She's hosting me, but, um, but no, she's, she's amazing her and her family. And then, um, but yeah, so I, I finished, it's funny because I finished uh, third on that tour. I won um, three out of I think seven or eight of the stops that year and I actually missed a stop. So I think I had a chance. Um, that was probably the, the, my prime at my prime at that point in 2010. And then, um, and then just kind of tapered down after that. Do you, it sounds like you were so busy, but it also sounds like what an incredible experience to be doing all this stuff and traveling that way before children or a husband. Um, do you think back of the times fondly? Was that a great time for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was probably the best years of my life, I'd definitely say. Because, you know, the thing about pool is that if you, so if you're a, a basketball player, like an amateur basketball player, or even a basketball fan, you would never expect to sign up for a basketball tournament and just get to play against Michael Jordan or, you know, some of the, the greatest players in the world. But that's what's unique about pool is that you can, there are a lot of um, big events that are just open. There's, you know, there's um, the, the most prestigious um, 
professional event on U.S. soil every year, the U.S. Open Nine Ball Championships. Um, takes place in, in Virginia every year in, in October and the, all the pros uh, come to that event from all over the world. And you could just pay your thousand dollar entry and you may draw the best player in the world at that event. So um, it's, it's a really unique experience. And whereas you've got, you know, your, um, your uh, accountant who, has his day job as an accountant and then just plays in leagues at night and he loves it and he loves the sport and he's, he's got the financial means to travel and, and, and enjoy, you know, enjoy it on a leisurely level and shows up and he's, he meets up against the, the best player in the world. He does this professionally. So yeah, it's really cool. That is very interesting because then the money comes into it that way too, which is smart too. So they're, you're willing to play the people that are less than you and it's a problem. Sounds like it'll be a quick game too. That's and it's an experience for them too, right? Yeah. So it's kind of win-win for everyone. And you made me think of, my wife always says the best time of her life was her college days. And I always am offended by that because I wasn't part <laughs> of her life, wasn't part of her life at that time. So she's changed it to the best type of her single life. But oh, okay. I, I, I totally get that. And there's these unique times in your life where yeah, you couldn't go back and recreate that now. You wouldn't want to go back and recreate that now, but what an amazing journey. And I'm sure there's some crazy stories that came with that journey as you're traveling around the world. Do you journaling or documenting you were doing on the blog? Do you ever go back and relook at those days? I do occasionally, occasionally. I just, I pulled up a, a blog post the other day um, because um, so through my uh, travels and connections and friends, um, Joe Rogan came to town. Um, he actually had moved to Colorado and to Boulder with his his wife. And um, this is, gosh, I it was it was probably like 2008 or something like that. And um, and we were, someone was talking about Joe Rogan, and um, so he came to town and he had texted me because we had a mutual friend and I like hung out with Joe Rogan all night one night and played pool with him and um someone was talking about Joe Rogan and I like pulled it up on my blog and I was like this guy <laughs> but so it's there it's I've had so many amazing experiences um in that in that kind of eight year window that was just really really cool and it, it was really exciting that I had that blog and you know it's still up and and that I have all those resources it actually got corrupted because it got hacked or something and then but I mean I think the content is still there but it's still really really cool that um I, I mean a lot of the things that I, when I think about it like what I was doing back then because I would travel to these tournaments and um aside from competing. So the competing was pretty straightforward. <laughs> like you get there, you play in the tournament, you hang out with your friends, stay up late, the last night you go party and then like you get on a plane and you go home. Um, but I would cover these pro events and I would get there and I think I would sleep like, you know, for a 10 day event, I think I would sleep like 10 hours during those 10 days. And it was so intense. I would stay up late night covering matches. I would write up an article, uh, like do, you know, a, a 10,000 word, article um, covering the tournament for one of the magazines and then I would do interviews for for um, the the online side and it was just so intense I mean when I think about the amount of I mean I just can't, I can't do that anymore <laughs> value my sleep too much now I guess yeah which is good okay last part about this part of your life and then we'll move on what do you miss most about those days and what do you not miss at all Ooh, 
feel like I miss the energy, like having that kind of energy level. Um, you know, as much as I, I miss the traveling. Yeah. I mean, we travel now as a family, but it's not the same, right? But I miss the traveling and, and just meeting the reunions, seeing a lot of those, those old friends, which I don't, I only see online now remotely. What do you not miss? Uh, should I be thinking this long about that question? That's a good sign. It was all good or good enough. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't miss um, living out of suitcase. Yeah. I, I bet. And it's probably, yeah, in different places and all those locations, that probably does wear on you too. And you probably were exhausted constantly. Yeah. I used to have this uh, packing checklist. And so I would, it was laminated, this whole laminated checklist that I would, this is before the days of smartphones. And I, I was one of the last people that I knew to get a smartphone. I was to get a smartphone. So I had this laminated checklist that I would go through and <laughs> check off. It seems like your personality fits this, you know, very well, right? All these things that your thoroughness and all of that lines up and consistency line up with being good at pool. That makes yeah, sense. I try. <laughs> I try. What outside of pool, because you, you're really, like we talked about, you really have a passion and you're so passionate about it that that hasn't really waned. And so you're in a pretty unique situation with that. Um, I've had a friend tell me a long time ago, he took an intro to psychology class and he said, once your, once your hobby becomes your profession or your passion becomes your profession, it still will be a job no matter what. So you have to figure out different things. But outside of that, what, what kind of passions or hobbies do you have currently? Uh, oh, so um, I love gardening. I, um, I never cared about the weather until I started gardening is funny and um so i with thousands of other um uh, people during the pandemic had you know the most prolific garden <laughs> during 2020 um i uh i, I home homebrew kombucha um what else um oh i like to play tennis so yeah are you, uh, uh, without playing competitively, do you get your competitive fix somehow? Is tennis filling in for that? Or do you oh, ever yeah, go and play like some sure. small competitions now? No, no, no. And you know, what's funny is the other day, uh, I got a text from my husband that said, do you want to play in a doubles tournament with me? And he sends me the dates and it was like 10 days long. And I was like, what kind of pool tournament lasts for pool like doubles tournament in pool lasts for 10 days and then he had to clarify no I mean a, a tennis doubles tournament I'm like heck no I don't want to play a tennis doubles tournament with you no way yeah that is that is wild I think that the is it with pool is it that you're are is I guess with most sports people that are younger are better at the sports is that true with pool you're motor function or whatever is in that way? Who are the best? What ages are the best pool players currently, roughly? Great question. I feel like, so there's pros and cons of both, right? So if when you're younger, you're more fearless. You don't have all that baggage, emotional baggage from shots that you've missed carried over. So you're just fearless. Your vision is better. <laughs> um, so 
not so much about hand-eye coordination dexterity. I feel like that's probably the same if you're 18 versus maybe 38. Um, but you know, once you hit that 40, 40 year window, that 40 year mark, it's like your vision kind of goes to goes downhill. So um, so there's that working against you, but you definitely have a lot more experience. And there is a lot to be said about like tournament experience too, right? Seasoning, um, playing in a lot of events, beating tough players that if you're a younger player, you um, sometimes you beat, sometimes a younger player will, will uh, win as an underdog because they don't know they're not supposed to. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they just don't miss. Um, so they'll win ugly. But then sometimes the older player will beat um, a player if they're the underdog because they have that tournament experience and they know how to overcome that pressure playing under um, playing under pressure, right? That's a good transition. One of my last things I want to talk to you about is the, I'm all about life skills. And it sounds like there's a lot of life skills that you learn through playing this and through your training and everything. What are some of those for you when you look back at how pool translates outside of of the table to life. What kind of life skills have you learned through this? Dan, you're good. You're good. These are great questions. I've never, ever been asked before. Um, so funny. I, I hate, so I used to interview, right? And I used to do like post-match interviews. And um, I used to have a series of different interviews. I had this interview series where I have the players take out everything in their case. And I like um, do... Sam's on the case. So I would like, tell me about this item you keep in your case and play everyone at home loved those interviews. But I would say I always am so uncomfortable getting interviewed, but um, you have some really, really good, good questions. Um, so I would say um, it's hard to not be cliche, um, but definitely, you know, perseverance, and um, just not giving up, right? Because there are so many matches that I have won and come back from that I just never thought I had a chance. Um, there, there were, there's so many tournaments where I've lost my very first match and came all the way back through the loser side and just fought my way back and just, you know, just don't give up. Um, there's, there's that side of it too, but then there's also um, paying your dues and putting in your time and um, reaping the, the fruits of your labor, right? The rewards from that, because I, as an instructor now, I teach a lot of students that I never see again. And a lot of times people think that that one lesson is gonna fix everything. But then I also have a lot of students who, a lot of my younger students, especially who work really, really hard. And I can see such a dramatic difference from day one to where they are now. And they've accomplished so much. And it's very rewarding for me as an instructor and mentor for them to, to be able to see that. So there's a lot to be said about um, gaining from that, that hard work. So hard work mixed with perseverance, I'd say those two combined biggest life skills. Those are good ones. Uh, one thing that I see with pool translating to life too, that I'm not good at is, and I think it's probably like chess, right? You're, you see the board or whatever you, you see the table and you're seeing all of the shots. 
Um, can you talk just a little bit about that before we go? Like when you are looking at a, at a table and not that I don't think the, the people that are listening to this will be that technical with it, but just how far when you're playing, are you looking ahead and are you thinking about that? I know you're rolling the balls a certain way to make them come back and set up your next shots. What about that translation? Yeah, for sure. So more so I would say for eight ball than for nine ball, because um, with eight ball, there's more traffic on the table. So you're trying to maneuver and um, negotiate the situation to get all of your clear, all of your stripes or all of your solids before you can get to the eight ball, trying to work through all that traffic and squeeze between stuff. And there's a lot more it's a lot more like a chess match and there's a lot to uh, a lot of times too you have to learn when to go for it and when to be patient and play a defensive shot and wait for the right moment to attack um so there's a lot of that too yeah being very patient um with nine ball or rotation games where you're you're just striking the the lowest number ball on the table you're making contact with the lowest number ball on the table it's kind of spelled out for you what the the natural path is but it is there's a lot of planning involved um, in terms of making sure you choose the easiest path. So there's not always, I always say to my students, especially, you know, a lot of my young students that are um, preparing for a big tournament or a match or something like that, because we spend so much time together um, with me sort of quarterbacking and and feeding them um, and helping guide them in the right direction in terms of decision making and how to shoot in certain shots. But then when it comes time for tournament, what I always like to say is, you know, whatever shot that you make or whatever decision that you make, I want you to trust that it's the right decision. <laughs> so the last thing that I want one of my students to do going into a big match is to be wondering, is that what Sam would want me to do? Um, and doubting themselves, right? So, so, and I've done that. I, and I know that from experience because I don't know how many times, you know, in my earlier years, I, all I could hear was, you know, my coach saying, we'll do this. I'm like, well, does that rule apply here or does it not, right? So at some point you mean, you wanna set your little bird free and, and give them the, the tools to make those decisions for themselves. But yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of planning involved, a lot of um, decision-making. There's not, I always like to say, there's not a right way to run out of rack, but usually there's kind of an optimal way. And a path of least resistance. And if you take the time to look at the big picture and uh, look through everything and always say walk behind the shot you're playing position for like not just looking at it from the side because it looks different then um then you can you can you shoot most of the time kind of see the optimal plan but if you're just looking at it from one perspective that's maybe another takeaway too right having different perspectives of the same picture so that you can make your best educated decision on on the path to to success Perfect. Okay. Our final, final thing is how can people learn more about your work, support you? Oh, thank you. Um, I guess the easiest way would just be go to my website, samdiep.com, S-A-M-M-D-I-E-P.com. And um, yeah, they can book lessons straight from there and, um, and all my, uh, my bio and everything is on there as well, including some videos if anyone is interested. Perfect. And it's an extensive bio. I'm so thankful to learn about you. You are a badass. And this was a very cool conversation for me. So you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Well, I, I have seen some of the um, women that you've been interviewing and I feel very honored to be in their company. And um, I think this is such an amazing thing you're doing. And I really, really appreciate that you've included me uh, in this, this list. And um, I look forward to seeing more interviews from other badass women. Thank you.